so I, you can about imagine, um, I just wasn't too freaked out. Kid you not, the next week, um, I'm laying on my bed getting ready to go to, to sleep, and, and Megan's in the bathroom, and taking a little bit longer than normal, and, and I don't really think anything of it. I hear the door open, and I'm laying there with, ready to go to bed, and just, you know, at peace of mind. Like, as, at the best that it, my mind gets peace. And I see her walk in, and I'm like, what is taking her so long? And I turn around, and she's got this look on her face that I've never seen before. You know, it's like this mix of, like, excitement and terror, like, glazed over with shock, and she's glowing. And I said, well, what's, what's the deal? Um, and she just kind of looked at me and pulled out, like, this foreign object from behind her back. You know, I was like, what, what is that? What, what, are, what is that? Uh, she said, it's a pregnancy test. And um, she said, there's two lines. And I just froze. I was like, well, what, what does that mean? What, what does two lines mean? You need to translate for me. What are you saying? She said, I'm pregnant. And truth be known, I don't remember anything after that. Like, I just went into this, like, state of shock and just, I mean, in fact, I have a picture. Can we throw the picture up? That's a picture we took right afterwards. I'm not posing in that picture. That's really how, I, like, all night long. She was concerned because I just, I, in my mind, I just, I knew. I knew that everything was about to change radically. Few things change the lives of a couple faster than having kids. This morning, uh, I want to look at someone who was the greatest catalyst of change uh, to ever walk the earth. And not only did he change the lives of his parents, but he changed the lives of seemingly everyone who seemed to cross his path. It seemed that anybody who crossed him or knew him, heard him teach, saw him, worshipped him, would never quite be the same again. It seemed that his, his life and his message demanded a response. And many loved him, many hated him, but very few could ignore him. And so if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to open up to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty in the back. We'd love to get you on. Just raise your hand. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, um, I said this last week and I misspoke. Uh, there is an application. If you just search Bible in the, mar- in the market on your smartphone, uh, there's an application by LifeChurch.tv. It's free. It's Bible on your phone. Uh, it's awesome. Some great reading plans on there, too. But Matthew chapter 1, uh, and we're going to verse 18, and it begins to describe the events that led up to Christmas. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph and Mary were a good Jewish couple. They had been preparing for marriage for a long time. We're told that Mary is a virgin. We have every reason to believe that Joseph is also a virgin. Joseph had a good trade. He was ready for marriage as much as one could be. He had a good trade as a carpenter. And they were engaged to one another, we're told. And in this particular time, to become betrothed to somebody would have been a very public event, um, it would have been a community event, and it would have uh, initiated this very customary process of pre- preparing for marriage. And part of, as part of that, Joseph was very likely, um, he was likely charged with preparing their house for marriage. And so this, this marriage they're getting ready to enter into is something that they had talked about, they had dreamed about, uh, they had a plan, and they loved one another. And then all of a sudden, things change very, very quickly. They change very rapidly. 
And, and I think we sometimes romanticize a little bit what this must have liked, but just imagine for a moment what it must have been like for Mary to break the news to Joseph and try to explain what the angel had told her, that she's pregnant with a child that's not his. And imagine for a moment just how Joseph must have felt. I mean, the shock, uh, the embarrassment, perhaps even the rage, as he began to ask questions like, Mary, you know, how could you? Like, no one's going to believe that I'm the father. What is this going to mean for me in my future? How am I going to be perceived in the community? How is this going to affect my credibility as a carpenter? What do I do now? Right? It must have been just as bad, if not worse, for Mary. I mean, she lived in a small Jewish community. If you've ever lived in a small town, uh, you know that oftentimes all knowledge is public knowledge. You know, word gets around fast. So she knew and he knew that when word got out that Mary was pregnant, that she was not married, this was not going to be isolated to one small little group in the community. The entire town was going to know. If you can just imagine, just off the top of your head, just just ask, uh, how many people do you think actually believed her? Hey, I've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Sure you have. You know, I'm sure. You know, and if you can just imagine, like, her having to try to explain to not just Joseph, but her family, what had happened, her friends, everybody that she's ever known. And imagine the, the embarrassment and the shame, right? the disappointment and disbelief that she must have seen in so many of their eyes. I mean, the shame and the embarrassment that this caused Joseph and Mary and their families really cannot be understated. All of a sudden, all their plans changed radically. Jesus entered in, and nothing would really ever be the same again. But the curious thing is that that Jesus not only changed the lives of Joseph and Mary, which we can imagine, of course it would, but of so many more, including some very unlikely people. At the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, this is fascinating. I mean, this is, this is perplexing, really. Because the Magi are about the furthest thing we would ever expect to show up to a worship gathering for Jesus. Because they were, they were priests, essentially, in their own land. Right? They, were, they were experts in mysteries. So this time, like, the term Magi could have used to explain experts in anything from astronomy to astrology to, uh, to magic to dream interpretation. Um, you name it. Uh, the pursuit of wisdom, uh, the interpretation of sacred texts. It could, we don't know exactly what their area of expertise is, but what we do know is that these are powerful, influential men. All right? In their particular nation, when there was a crisis, when there was, um, when there was a natural phenomenon that needed explaining, these were the guys that got the call. Right? When, the, when the, the leader of that particular area needed a wealth of knowledge at his fingertips, the magi is often who he called in. They were considered some of the best and the finest minds uh, in their land. And here they are. What in the world would cause them to come to see Jesus, to worship Jesus? The truth is, based on the text, we don't really know. We don't know if um, an angel visited them, just that the angel had had visited Mary and told her what was happening. Uh, We don't know if perhaps 600 years earlier they had heard of the the Messiah who was to come, perhaps from, from Daniel. Uh, we don't really know. What we do know, however, is that whatever it was, it was not ambiguous. Whatever it was that they knew, they knew that they had to go see this Jesus. They had to get to him. They had to bring gifts to him. They had to worship this baby. 
Jesus changed their lives profoundly as they and all those with them would have been a big group of people all their attendants all their the guards who travel with them traveled roughly probably about a thousand miles by camel would have taken several weeks one way to come and worship this baby how is it possible that a mere child could have such a profound life-altering effect on powerful influential men like the magi you know it wasn't just them look at how it impacted the life of herod in verse three when king herod heard this he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him also. Of course, if you know the story, you know Herod has absolutely no intention of worshiping the child. But what he can do is ignore him. He can't just go about his business and pretend that this child had not been born. He must find him. We're told that when he learned of Jesus, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Fascinating. Right, this is Herod. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great Builder. Right, the one who is known so well for restoring the temple. Who is known so well for all of his building projects, for, for his, his theaters and for his palaces and his fortresses. Herod who had funded so many building projects throughout the Roman Empire, including entire harbors, entire cities. Right, this was the man appointed by Rome. Herod the Great. Herod the King. And yet despite all that he's accomplished... Despite his political might, his power, his reputation, we're told that Herod was shaken to the core by the birth of this child. He was well aware of the prophecy who was to, uh, of the Messiah who was to come. And the truth is he would share his throne with nobody. In fact, Herod had a very notorious reputation for eliminating competition. And actually, uh, in history, what we find actually happened with Herod is he would kill off anybody who rose in power, including his own family including his own wife, when she began to gain influence in the empire, right? including his own mother-in-law. This is a little bit more understandable. No, I'm just kidding. I love my mother-in-law. But he killed her too. And in fact, he would end up killing uh, a number of his sons as well. He would share his power and glory with no one. He was Herod the Great, Herod the King. But when the Magi came and said, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? We are told that this greatly feared, seemingly untouchable, accomplished, unwielding man, this king, is greatly disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. I mean, what kind of child is this? What kind of baby is this that disrupts the lives of so many who cross his path? What kind of child is it that draws influential leaders from other nations? What kind of child is this that, that makes them fall to their knees in worship? What kind of child brings a king and all those under his leadership to ruin? Causes them to lose sleep at night. What kind of child is this? Well, Joseph thought he knew. And as he tried to decide what to do with his now very radically changed life and his impregnated fiancée, we're told at the end of chapter 1 that he planned to divorce her quietly. And this is what it says in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to call him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The reason that this child, this baby, elicits such radical change, the reason that he has such an impact, even as an infant, is because he's no child at all. And he would grow up to be no mere man. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate, Jesus, the God-man. Right, as a man, he would know what it would like, be like to be tired, to be hungry, to be thirsty. Right? He would feel the pain of being scorned and rejected, but he was no mere man. He was the God-man who, when he walked by water, the water blushed in his presence and turned to wine. Right? When Jesus came to town... It meant that those who had been blind since birth would now see. Right? It meant that those who were lame and could not walk would now walk. It meant that those who were sick with terminal illnesses would be cured, that prostitutes would be forgiven, that adulterers would be defended, that swindlers would be made honest, generous men. It meant that a whole lot of lives were going to change in a very short period of time. How did this child, who would one day grow up to be a man, change so much for so many In so little time. Now the truth is, for those of us who worship Jesus, who believe he was and is precisely who he claimed to be, for us it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, we believe that he was not just a man, that he was the God-man, that he was God with flesh and skin on. The truth is that if you were to believe for a moment, even if you don't, just suspend that for a moment, If we were to believe that God was going to come down amongst us, put on flesh and skin, come to pave the way for God, to save us from our own transgressions, wouldn't you expect something profound to happen? Wouldn't you expect that lives would be changed, that miracles would happen, that the world would never be the same again? But I suppose it's a little harder to explain and to make sense of uh, if you don't believe. It's a little bit hard to understand how Jesus, this man who spent... The first 30 of his, uh, years of his life, swinging a hammer and pretty much in um, relative obscurity. Right? This, this man who, who never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his house. Right? Who never wrote a book. Who never ran for office. Who never made much money. Who was impoverished and homeless. Whose public ministry only lasted three years. Could forever change so many lives and human history as we know it. In fact, human history literally divides at his coming. Right? B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Right? We're talking about a man about whom more songs have been sung, about more, whom more books have been written, more art, artwork has been commissioned than anyone who has ever lived or ever will live. And even right now, today, we gather along with literally billions and billions of brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world to worship, to adore, to celebrate and honor the Jesus who came to us on Christmas. In fact, curiously, non-Christian and Christian people agree, all historians agree, that nobody has had the impact on human history that Jesus had. 
Listen to this. The non-Christian historian H.G. Wells says what uh, is generally agreed upon, um, almost unanimously in, histor- in history. He says, I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. The historian Kenneth Scott Latterette says, As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. Even Napoleon Bonaparte says this. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But upon what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Charles Spurgeon, the great Reformed Baptist minister, said this. He says, Christ is a central fact of the world's history. To him, everything looks forward or backward. All the lines of history converge upon him. All the great purposes of God culminate in him. The greatest and momentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth, which, of course, we come to celebrate today as Christmas. See, for those of us who believe Jesus was who he claimed to be, then all of this really just makes sense. Or because Muhammad would say, I'm a prophet. I've been sent to speak for God. If he were to say he was God, that would have been blasphemy, even for Muhammad. But Jesus said, that is precisely who I am. Anyone who sees me sees the Father. Right? Buddha would come and say, I'm just a man, but I've found the way to enlightenment. And Jesus would say, I am the enlightenment. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has a greater message of hope ever existed. That God came now and walked amongst us. That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But everyone who chooses to come through him finds the Father. See, but there's a great implication to this. If it is true, there's a great implication to the life and the claims of Jesus. And it's this. It's that everyone must decide what they will do with Jesus. Many loved him. Many hated him. But very few could ignore him because of his claims. Right? Joseph had to decide what he would do with Jesus. The angel came to him and said, and it revealed to him that this baby he was carrying was, it wasn't just a fabricated story. That it was Jesus Christ who would be the savior of the world. Joseph responded, we find, with submission and worship. He decided to take Mary as his wife and lay down his life in obedience. Find the exact same thing with the Magi. This is what we read in Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These powerful, influential men fell on their face in obedience and submission to Jesus. And we don't know if they know knew everything and just how profound this moment was. We don't know if they knew the full scope of Jesus' divinity, but what we do know, what they did know, was enough for them to fall on their face and to present him with gifts fit for a king and to worship Jesus. Herod, of course, had the opposite response. 
Herod would share his throne with nobody. He knew who Jesus was. He's under no illusions. He knew the Messiah who was to come. And when he tried to deceive the Magi into letting on where Jesus was and God intervened, right, he had all the children in that particular region killed who fit the, the age of what he thought Jesus was. Right, he would bend his knee, not to anyone, and certainly not to Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, we find, curiously, this exact same response throughout the scriptures, throughout the Gospels, the same polarizing effect of Jesus, that people often loved him, they often hated him, but very few people could ignore him. Right? Throughout his life, we see him, he's traveling during his public ministry, and he's speaking, and he's, doing, he's teaching, doing miracles, and throngs of people gather around him. Many of them loved him. Many of them wondered at him. Many of them worshipped him. But then there's always those on the outskirts, those on the fringes, those in the back saying, how can we kill him? How can we murder him? He's got to be stopped. He's got to be silenced. All right, you can love him, you can hate him, but don't neutralize him. Perhaps the most clear picture we see of this is on the cross. Jesus is hanging there, and we find that a few of his followers are at the foot of the cross, right, weeping, mourning. They can't believe that this has happened, but in the very same space, there are those mocking him, jeering him, celebrating what they've accomplished. It's amazing. Jesus, his life, his claims demand a response. And, and, and it's curious to me uh, that we don't really, it doesn't really have that effect so much anymore, it seems. Because I think what has happened is we really like the person of Jesus. Right? We really like the idea of this guy who talked a lot about love. Right? We really like this swell guy from Nazareth. And often, I, th- I think culturally and sometimes even in the church, we view him as this benevolent being who talked a lot about love. Right? But we divorce him from what he claimed. And what he claimed was pretty radical and demands a response. Demands that every single one of us, all of humanity, and all of us in this room, all of us tuning in, that we have to make a decision of what we will do with Jesus. Now, perhaps you're here um, and you're a guest. Perhaps you've been coming for some time and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, um, you've heard us say this before, but we want to welcome you. And, and part of the vision, really, of Mosaic, part of the heartbeat of what we do here. Is, is that we want this to be the kind of community where people can belong regardless of what they believe or don't believe. And, and, and our vision for this community is that this would be a place where you are, find yourself loved and appreciated regardless of what you believe or don't believe, for who you are. Right? That we want this to be a place where people can come and doubt and ask questions uh, and journey with people who are on a similar journey. But we probably have to confess something on the front end, and that's that if we're really honest... Uh, we're praying for you. And, and our hope and our prayer is that you would come to experience the truth of, of who Jesus is. That you would come to experience God in a very personal way. That Jesus wouldn't mess you up forever. And we mean that in the best of ways. Right? Because many of us have experienced this in our lives. And we are praying this for you. And we want this to be the kind of community where you can belong forever. Regardless of if you ever believe what we believe. But you have to know that at the core of our faith. And what we believe is that ultimately you're going to have to make a decision. And that is what you will do with this Jesus of Nazareth who changed the world. Perhaps you have been weighing this for some time. Perhaps you've struggled with the idea of Jesus for a long time. Not so much because of Jesus, but because of his followers. And if that's you, you need to know you're in good company. right? Because there's many people who are part of this community who have been burned by religion and religious people. And you have to know that Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. 
And I think the empire that we often refer to as Christianity is not exactly what he had in mind. Jesus did not come to found Christianity. He came to be the way and to show us the way. And if at any point those who claim the name of Christ have made it hard for you to come to know Jesus and discover that way, uh, we want to personally apologize. I want to personally apologize for that. Because sometimes those who claim the name Christian do not do a very good job of being very much like Jesus. And that's a sad reality of it. But I have another confession for you. And it's this. That everybody in this room is a hypocrite. We are all hypocrites in one way or another. None of us are perfect. Jesus was the only one who was perfect. And so you need to know that. Right? And so we're all hypocrites in one way or another, and that's why you will fit in so well. Right? Welcome to the club. Right? You will never reach a point, none of us will, where we stop making mistakes, where we stop needing Jesus' ongoing grace and love and work in our lives. The difference is, as a part of the church, we seek to honor him, to worship him, to follow him together as a community, as a family, because that's God's design for the church. So what we do, if you're new to this whole church thing, is we essentially just take the scriptures, the Bible, which we believe to be the inspired word of God, and we open it up, And we believe that all of it points to Jesus, forward and backwards, that all of it culminates in him, all of it reveals him, and we just open it up and submit our lives to it, and we move forward together as a community and let that guide our lives. That's what we do, and we invite you to be a part of that. Now, perhaps for you, you've been here and you would submit, you would say, you know what, I've called myself a Christian for a very long time. Perhaps you've gone to church for a very long time, but what you've done with Jesus, perhaps, is that you've traded him and his claim and his message for a religion that you're far more comfortable with, right? Something that is manageable, something that really doesn't man- demand all of you. And perhaps you come here for the music, right? There's weeks I come here for the music, or perhaps you come here for the art. Perhaps sometimes as you listen to the message, you find yourself inspired, challenged, perhaps even convicted at times, but if you're really honest, as you look at your life, it really hasn't had any impact. Because perhaps for you, Jesus, you've taken the great God-man and you've made him to little more than the great suggestion. And you open up the Bible and you pick and choose what you want to believe. And you sometimes you make little incremental changes, right? Just as long as it doesn't cause you to sacrifice much or change much. Right? So yeah, you know, buy a $20 shirt where the proceeds go to Africa. Yeah, I can do that. But give up my time, my energy, my dreams, my passions, that relationship that I know I shouldn't be in that stuff I'm engaging when nobody else is around, my bitterness, my unwillingness to forgive, I'll leave that stuff alone. And perhaps you have yet to realize that you can call yourself a Christian and you can actually come to church for your entire life and never be a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And so this Christmas, I want to challenge you and ask you, and challenge you to ask yourself, are you or aren't you? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you following him or not? When you open up the scriptures, are you submitting your life to that and saying, all right, God, I'm going to admit on the front end, I could be wrong and I probably am. What do you want me to do? Change me. Right? As you gather with your family and you do the, the holiday stuff that you do every year, all good stuff probably, take some time and ask yourself, what have I done with Jesus up until now? Because the question of not just this season, the question of eternity, the question that will define your life, is what did you do with this great gift that came to us on Christmas? What have you done with God's Son? What have you done with Jesus? Let's pray.
Father God, I pray for those who aren't very happy with me right now. God, I pray for all of us. Uh, Because we're all messed up. And we all struggle with different things. Some of us are very open with our struggles. Some of us aren't. A lot of the struggles are very different. But the one thing that we believe unites us as humanity is our great need for you. Just how messed up we are without you. God, I ask for us as a community that we would be a people whose hearts are being continually softened and changed. God, I ask that for those, of, uh, for those perhaps who have already written me off and have resolved to never come back to Mosaic again, that this would be a message that haunts their dreams, that keeps them up at night. As much as they have resisted it to this point, as much as perhaps they don't want to believe it, God, that this would be something that takes root in their heart and will not leave them alone. God, that you would reveal yourself and the truth about who you are and your son Jesus to them in a powerful way that leaves them changed. God, I pray for those of us who have been coming to church for a long time, calling ourselves a Christian, and believe perhaps that that we are, and perhaps we are, God, that you would reveal to us those areas of our lives where we've been picking and choosing what it is we will believe and what we will submit or not submit to you. God, that you would continually show us our great need for you and give us a vision for the life that you dream for us, a life that can only be realized in right relationship with you, with Jesus, with the gift given to us on Christmas. God, as we come together for worship, as we move forward into the Christmas season, God, we ask that we would be a people continually changed and transformed by your love and by your grace. God, that we would be a people that just like Jesus, that religious people are repelled by and those who need you most, the worst of the worst, are attracted to. Give us a heart for those around us who need you. God, we love you. We come together to worship you this time. God's people prayed all these things in your name. Amen.